As always, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. It's an honor to deliver this sermon today. Uh, our text is from Romans 12:16. But be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So, as we've been going through Romans chapter 12, uh, Zach, who's been doing the majority of, of this sermon series, but also Hunter and Alex have been involved with this. I'm honored to be involved with this as well. But uh, as we've been going through Romans 12, we've been looking at ways that God wants our relationships to build one another up. Paul has given us a list of ways to do so, a set of character qualities that we as followers of Christ should be exhibiting on a daily basis that will proclaim God's love to a dying world and build the relationships in the church that honor him and show the fruit of that love, the life-changing results of that love. So again, I'll read from Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. And do not be wise in your own estimation. So Paul is exhorting us believers to live a life of humility and the absence of pride. Now pride is the original sin. It is the sin that earned Lucifer his expulsion from heaven. And Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 says... How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depth of the pit. And it's a sin, pride is the sin also that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and more importantly, from the presence of God himself. Satan used Adam and Eve's propensity toward pride to lure them into the false thinking that you will be like God. Notice, he says, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. And Isaiah quotes him as saying, I will be like the Most High. So this idea that we can be as God, straight from our sin nature, straight from the Father of lies. John also vehemently warns us against pride in his epistle, 1 John two fifteen and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So how does pride break down our relationships? John uses the term boastful pride of life to describe the idea that we have made ourselves into what we are. We have created for ourselves the life that we live. And while we do play a part in the way our lives progress, good decisions versus bad decisions, etc., we could not even begin to make those good decisions without the presence of God in our lives. Amen. So the pride of life implies 
that God is not a part of the equation at all. The natural consequence of this thinking is that if I have created this life for myself, then there's no reason that I should associate with anyone else unless it brings me joy, unless it brings me pleasure. A prideful person will unintentionally and even sometimes intentionally destroy all of the relationships in their life and drive people away simply by their outlook on life and the way that outlook manifests itself in the way they treat others. Pride is a product of our sin nature. It is innate in us. It is who we are. It is our natural human condition. And it is from the father of lies. To me, it's no accident that we are covering this passage and this topic in the month of June. Many of you may have heard or seen anything about Pride Month. Pride Month is named by our culture as the month of June to celebrate pride. Anything that you could be proud about is celebrated in the month of June, Pride Month. But as humans, it's not just limited to the month of June, but it is, that is the month that our culture has decided to celebrate pride. So pride is celebrated by the world, and Paul is asking us to live separately, to live a different way than the world lives. At the beginning of Romans 12, in verse 2, he states, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is acceptable and perfect Our natural inclination toward pride is to be transformed, to be upended by meditation on the Word of God. The result of that is, of which is that we will be able to see what God's will for us is and in humility be able to carry that out. Paul explains in deeper language and expounds upon the idea of being of the same mind, which he says at the beginning of Verse 16. He explains in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Some also in our culture, which celebrates pride, have recently begun to express the need to have my self-identity affirmed or to feel represented in every story, every movie that's produced. I have to admit, I do find myself doing this from time to time after reading or watching a movie I'll say, I identify with this character in this way. And I have to be reminded by myself, or my wife is also really good at reminding me of this. (laughs) Not everything is about you, Ryan. (laughs) And ultimately, this view is in direct opposition to the message that Paul is conveying in this passage. It is an, in fact, attempt to make oneself more important than everyone else. 
as a direct result of pride. To be of the same mind as believers is a call to have the same goal, to be singularly focused on one project, one outcome. And what is that outcome? It's the same project that was Christ's ministry on earth. Reconciliation to the world, of the world, to God, through salvation that is offered in Christ. And when we exalt ourselves, when we are allowing pride to rule our lives, it destroys that goal. It destroys the being of one mind. So continuing on in the, in the passage in Philippians, Paul gives the exhortation to be like Christ and to follow his example of self-sacrifice and humility. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Some translations that I've read actually say, Although he was in very nature God, he was God, he is God, and yet he did not feel the pride to hold on to that nature and instead was willing to empty himself and become taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul does not just stop at becoming obedient to the point of death. He expounds on that. He elevates Christ's humility by saying even a death on a cross. Because at the time, and probably now today, although crucifixions are not something that we carry out in our culture, but they were carried out in the Roman culture, in the culture of the day. It was the most humiliating death that a person could, I almost said survive. Obviously, a person does not survive an execution. It was the most humiliating death that a person could endure. Stripped naked or nearly naked, hung on a cross, gasping for air until your life is expired. And Christ was willing to go to the cross and be humiliated and humbled so that we could receive grace through Jesus from God. Paul continues in this passage giving us the result of Christ's humility. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, which is are, are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Christ's humility and obedience to the cross is the reason that God exalted him. When we are filled with pride, we cannot be exalted by God because we are attempting to exalt ourselves. Pride can be seen, therefore, as a blatant attempt to do the job which solely belongs to God, to take over what he is trying to do. 
James and Peter both quote Proverbs 3.34 in their epistles. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5.5, You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I got to admit, when I was younger, I didn't really care for that verse. But as I've gotten older, I, uh, it's kind of growing on me. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. <laughs> God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He, he wants from us humility. And when we are puffed up with pride, he opposes us so that we can be broken. The act of opposing us is the way that he breaks us down to become humble so that we can receive his grace. When we humble ourselves before God and admit our brokenness and our inability to fix anything in ourselves, this mess that we've created, he gives us grace and we are exalted. But more importantly, is that he is glorified through his ability to lift us out of our brokenness and sin. That is the ultimate goal, his glory, not us being exalted. But it happens at the same time. So immediately following Paul's warning to, be, to not be of a haughty mind or in a word, a caution against pride, he continues with a command to associate with the lowly. Why? Why would Paul have to need to call us to do this? It is important to keep in mind Paul's audience, which is the church in Rome. Rome at the time was the capital of the known world. The most powerful people, whether kings, rulers, senators, legislatures, most powerful people in the world either lived in or visited Rome on a regular basis. So the temptation of being that close to that much power is to align and associate with the powerful per for personal gain. Now, if we Im imagine if we lived in Washington, D.C., or imagine if Douglas was the capital of the world. Okay, that second one is a little bit difficult to, uh, to imagine. But imagine that we lived in Washington, D.C. So I did a little bit of research on this. Uh, of the over 700,000 people that live in Washington, D.C., over 300,000 of them work for or in some way associated with the government, with the federal government. That means that every other person that you meet on the, on the street, every second person, half of the people that you meet in a single day are in some way associated with the government. Whether it's the president himself, I've never met a president, I'm not too worried about doing it either. Or a senator, I've met a couple of senators and they were nice enough people. But legislators, Supreme Court justices, all of the staff that work for them, and there's also people that work for 438 agencies and sub-agencies that are associated with the federal government. It's a staggering number, yes. 
but every other person, two, one out of every two people is associated with the federal government in Washington, D.C. If we lived there, the temptation to associate ourselves with people of power, someone who either is in power or someone who knows someone who is in power, would be staggering. Would you rather have lunch with the person who can put you in touch with the right people, or would you rather have lunch with the person who doesn't know anyone who is in power? Obviously, in our pride, our pride would call us to be associated with the people that are in power. So Paul's warning us and exhorting us to associate with the lowly. He also does it because he speaks from experience. He was that guy. As Saul, before his, his conversion, he sought to advance his career and power within the, the religious order of the Jewish faith by persecuting the followers of Christ. That was the way that he was going to build his power, his clout. And it did. He did for a while. But thankfully, he encountered the Lord. And the Lord humbled him and broke him. And his influence for Christ was much greater than his influence in the Jewish community would have ever been. But he speaks from experience. He knows how vain and what an empty pursuit that is. As he explains in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, and he's listing his credentials, his bona fides as a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, found blameless. But his answer in verses 7 and 8 to his list of accomplishments in comparison to knowing Christ shows the humility that he's calling us to have. But whatever things were a gain to me, I count those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Rubbish. He uses the word for filth and garbage. They're to be tossed out. The credentials that we place our identity in are garbage compared to knowing and serving Christ. So finally, he calls us to associate with the lowly because it's what Christ did. The writers of the Gospels record many interactions that Christ had with people of varied backgrounds and status. Most of the interaction was with religious leaders and powerful people were frustrating to them as he called them out on their hypocrisy and, of course, their pride. But his interactions with people of lower status and economic means changed their lives. There's one such interaction in the Gospel of Luke which contrasts very starkly the difference between reacting to Christ with pride and reacting with humility. In Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, there's a story of a woman who anointed, 
anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was the, a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what that sort of person, who this woman is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner or an immoral person. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now a denarii at the time was about a day's wages. So one person owed 50, 50 days wages. If he paid nothing else, if he did not feed himself, if he did not pay the mortgage or the rent or put gas in his car or hay in his camel, if you will, it would take him a month and a half, a little more than a month and a half, without any other expenditures to pay this back. The other, that's quite a, quite a long chunk of time. This other person owed 500 denarii, nearly a year and a half of not buying any food, not feeding your, your cattle or, or your camel or going anywhere, not being able to pay your mortgage so that you can live 500 days, neither of them could do it. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet her feet, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time that I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to, this woman, to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A couple of quick observations. In verse 47, it says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for he, she loved much. It's very important to note that her sins were not forgiven because of the love that she had for Jesus. And in fact, it's just the opposite. Her love for Jesus was great because of the amount of sins that he had forgiven. And he continues that 
thought with, in the next phrase, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And that is reinforced in verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's not because she cried at his feet and wiped her, his feet with her tears. It's not because she anointed his feet with oil. It's not because of anything that she did, but her faith in Jesus Christ. Faith plus nothing else. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing else is salvation. So the Pharisee obviously knew who this woman was and what her reputation was. And his first reaction was to stand on the pedestal of his pride and to judge her for her sin. And Jesus, perceiving his reaction his, in his heart, rebukes him for it. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the woman, in contrast, she knows the weight of her sin. She sees the great multitude of her transgression. And in, hum in humility, she gives her very tears and hair to honor Jesus and worship him with her actions. Her reward is grace and mercy and forgiveness from Jesus. She is given restoration in exchange for her brokenness and an identity in Christ in exchange for her humility. Now, there are many other stories of Christ associating with the lowly, the outcasts of society. But the greatest of all these stories, to me, is the one that affects me the most. It's my own. Because you see, I have been both of the characters in the story from Luke 7. For the majority of my life, I was the Pharisee. I was standing on the pride of my own righteousness, casting judgment on undesirables, the lowly of society, internally admonishing them for their sin, yet also unwilling to reach out and offer the love of Christ to them. And I've also been the sinner, so overcome with the gravity of my sin and the forgiveness that has been given to me by Christ all I want to do is cry at his feet. I obviously can't wipe his feet with my tears or my hair. <laughs> but all I want to do is sit and cry at his feet and say thank you. So my question today is which are you? Are you the Pharisee sitting on your pedestal of pride? Or are you the sinner overcome by the weight of your sin and knowing that Jesus is the only one who can forgive, crying at his feet. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's still something that I wrestle with every day. It is a struggle to, to kill pride or have pride killed within me and be broken by God. But that's where our, that's where our goal should be, to be broken and humbled so that we can sit at Jesus' feet and be exalted by God. Whether we realize it or not, we are the lowly, and Christ has associated himself with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that is telling us to kill pride 
and to associate with the lowly as you have associated with us. Thank you that you oppose our pride and you break us down so that we can be humbled, so that we can receive your grace on a daily basis. Father, lift us up and exalt us so that you can be glorified through what we say and do. In your name I pray. Amen.